0: Welcome to Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle. I'm Bobby Osinski, and this is a show all about music, music production, and the music business. My guest this week is singer, songwriter, mentor, and entrepreneur Adam McInnes. First of all, I don't know if you've ever noticed, but there are no music videos on Facebook. Yeah, they weren't officially licensed until right now. And it turns out all the major labels, including Merlin, most indie labels, Publishers and PROs all basically signed on to have Facebook now be an official place for their music videos. So what's going to happen is artists will be able to post music videos on their own pages. But Facebook is also going to have a new hub, and they're going to call it Facebook Watch. Now basically what you're going to have here are themed playlists. And the themes are mostly derived from Facebook. But at some point in time, they expect that they're going to be personalized to each user. This is a big jab at YouTube. Because up until now, YouTube was really the place that you would go if you wanted to see an official music video. Of course, there's lots of user-generated videos up there as well. But that was the place for the official ones. And now you can go to Facebook. There's some news about YouTube as well. Their ad revenue is down during COVID. Now, ad revenue has been climbing and climbing, so they're getting richer and richer every year. There's a bigger pool of money for the artists and songwriters, but during COVID, that's all reversed. So they're only down about 5%, but they are down. But that's not the only companies having trouble with ad revenue as well. Spotify ad revenues are way down, and just about every television network is having the same problem. So you're going to find that if you're doing anything that's ad-based... You're not going to make the same kind of money as you have in the past. I'm not saying it's going to stay that way, especially after COVID. That's the way it is right now. If you have any questions or comments, you can send them to questions at bobbyownercircle.com. You can also sign up for my free vocal mixing techniques mini course at bobbyosinski-courses.com. You can download free eBooks and PDF downloads mixing, production, mastering, and social media at bobbyosinski.com forward slash free hyphen resources. Now here's something I thought was interesting. The other day, the Mars 2000 rover was launched from Cape Canaveral going to Mars, going to the red planet. It's due to touchdown in February of 2021. Hmm, what does it have to do with anything? Well, there's an audio package on board that's going to capture the sounds of Mars. This consists of multiple DPA 4006 omnidirectional miniature microphones. These are mostly the pel microphones. I actually own a bunch of them. They sound fantastic for what they are. They're so small. It's amazing, but yet they sound really big. Now, there's also going to be a DPA-MMA-A digital audio interface, and this is the interface that's actually going to output USB into the computer, and just like all interfaces, that's where the audio is going to reside. Now, in between, there's something special. It's a custom-made DPA-MMP-G cable that's going to bolt onto the exterior of the rover. So, big deal. It's a cable. Well... No, in this case, it's an active cable with the built-in mic pre. Everything here is really small. Everything here is lightweight. And of course, it has to be because weight is everything on a spacecraft. It also has to be really robust in design because the temperatures are going to go down as far as minus 148 degrees. Now, NASA built a specialized enclosure for the interface, although the cable and the microphones are on the outside of the rover. This is not only going to capture the sounds of Mars, but also the sounds of the entry, descent, and landing as well. So we won't hear anything until February of next year, but the sounds of Mars are coming to you soon. My guest this week is Adam McKinnis, who's a singer-songwriter most known for his work on television and film, as well as collaborating with top DJs in EDM. Adam has interests in three publishing companies, a recording studio in Austin, a Skincare line, and a yearly songwriter camp in Costa Rica called Neverland Retreats. His online platform called Billboard 500 Club, where he gives out mentoring information and advice regarding the music industry, has gained a vast following. During the interview, we talked about how social media can bring an artist a false sense of worth, how to land an investor, and how much money to ask for, why hip-hop artists understand the new music business better than just about anybody else, the ooh factor, and much more. I spoke with Adam via Zoom from his office in Costa Rica. I looked you up online, and I wanted to find out as much as I could about you, and there's just so many different things, so many different areas. So I'm kind of curious how it all started, how you got into the business.
1: Uh, for me, I have one of those crazy things that I was a, I was a doorman at a nightclub in college, and... um. There was a girl who was dancing on the bar. Uh, she had uh, was a go-go dancer, I guess you would call them. They had them in boxes on top of the bars. And um, so I was the bouncer. She was a go-go dancer. We started dating. Turns out she had this amazing voice. It was kind of like Mariah Carey meets Adele. And uh, she had a record deal when we were in college. And she got a $3.6 million record deal to Science Universal Motown. And she was like, uh, hey, can you come with me to these writing sessions? I've never been in a writing session before. Can you come with me? Because I feel nervous about all these new people I'm meeting. And they were putting her with like Diane Warren and all these top writers from all around the world. And she was like, do you just want to come along for the ride? And I said, sure. Like, I'll, I'll be your bodyguard. I'm a bouncer at the nightclub. Of course, I can keep people away from touching you. You know, I'm already happy to keep you away from touching you right now, <laughs> every day on, <laughs> on a week basis, you know. Um, so it started like that. And now I'd go in these sessions and I'd sit in the waiting rooms and I would, you know, write a lyric here and then like tell her like, is this kind of any good at all? And And that's kind of how I started my first co-writes with people was just being the guy in the room. And then I learned that that doesn't always work. Some people don't want you to be the guy in the room. So I had to actually learn the craft. Went to Los Angeles, had a management deal, started to work with trying to write for other people, realized how political that environment can be where you only have 12 songs making the album, but the artist might put on hold 60 and everyone's like hoping they're going to become the one, but then you have to be the single. It's like all that stuff. And, um, I got like my first couple of jobs in the business were really cool because I was teaching. I've always loved to help others. It's kind of just like how my parents always were. Like when you learn something that you can share, share it so that someone else doesn't go through the same stresses that, you know, you had to go through. And I started working at a celebrity kids camp for music where they had like, I had like Demi Moore and Bruce Willis's kids and Tommy Hilfiger's kids and like all these very you know influential people in the world. And they would give me their children. I would work with them on music. And then after that, the parents started hiring me to produce them on the real projects, which led me to like start to understand this world of how different things work in finance. And I was a kid from the city who never had like two bucks really. And so like seeing the way people like did things differently and how they looked at assets and opened my mindset. I went back to entrepreneurship school. And then from there I kind of learned all the things I was doing wrong for so many years, especially as an artist. And uh, then started to really like hit it hard and started to do a lot of placements, a lot of TV and film and sync world developed my companies and then uh kind of like I just kept stacking and building and building and building and um that's where I'm at now you know been doing a lot of tv and film is my my bread and butter and it's like the world I'm focusing on because I see sync as the world that if I'm looking at a stock it keeps rising in tv and film where like touring especially now is going to be going down record deals not as great as they used to cuz I know a lot of people who we've gotten signed to record deals and then our A&R got fired and then we got dropped you know, or like, so people work so hard for this dream, but then someone else gets fired and your dream is affected, but no their business is really like that. You know, like if if I own an invention, if someone else gets fired in another department, I'm not caring. I have a patent, you know, like I can still keep going. And I think in the music industry, because so many people don't understand the business, it's all catering on other people. And I think the business in general is just broken and no one's really like able to fix it because enough people don't know how it works. The majority of musicians don't even know how the business works. So it's like, it's really hard to, to fight the system or, or even just make the system better if no one knows how it actually works. So I kind of just fell into that more so lately is like really trying to help mentor people. So what I do in like our private clubs is I don't believe, and this is not a gender thing I'm going to say, I don't believe that a nurse can teach someone how to become a doctor. When I when I see these colleges charge $250,000, which an artist is never going to make back that money, like the point zero 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 one percent will do that, you know? Or these sync courses that people are, oh, get your songs on TV. And I'm like, but these are cookie cutter, crappy songs. Like, these aren't even really good art. Like, what are we teaching here? So what I do is I bring in all my friends who are Grammy Award winners, who are number one songwriters, who are the heads of Universal, who are the heads of sync companies. And I'm like... Come into this group and share your information for a small group of really talented artists. So um, we have about almost 200 artists in our private club that are from all around the world who are super talented, who are learning directly from other doctors so they can become a doctor. And they don't have have to pay. It's less than a cup of coffee a day. So it's not like you have to spend all of your money in the world just to become really great at what you do.
0: So you mentioned companies, which include what?
1: So I have Neverland Retreats, which is our music adventure company where people come out here to Costa Rica. It's like a full- excursion where we have like ziplining and whale watching and ATV riding. And then we have work with Grammy award winners and Justin Bieber's vocal coaches. And it's like, it's a full week of just parties and panels. That's what it is. So imagine ASCAP Expo, but with parties all at a, the biggest hotel in Costa Rica. That's what Neverland Retreats is. And we've done that for four years. And at every retreat, we've had some artists walk away with a management deal, production deal, record deal. We've always had someone that within six months of attending has landed a major placement on a like a number one album or something that's happened within six months from attending because of the connections they've made. So I've realized this in the business: that, um, the music business isn't as, as hard as people make it. So because people usually it's a dream thing, and dreams mean like you don't. Know, first of all, the word dream means it's not tangible. It's, it's why you wake up and you're like, oh, I had that dream. I can't really figure it out. But if you just look at the structure of the business, it's just based on high quality products that are current and your network. As long as you have those two things that are current and they have to be current, then you'll have net worth. It's when people have dated songs and dated connections that they don't have a net worth and their net worth starts to, to kind of suffer. So I realized as long as I can find people who are making great music that is current and link them up with people who are looking for great music who are current, they're always going to have a spark. Um, so that's Neverland Retreats. Uh, the Billboard 500 Club is a private club, which is modeled after the movie... 300. I don't know if you ever seen that movie where the Spartans like go and fight. You know the, the whole army. It's 300 men and that women that fight. So I believe that with only 500 people, I can change the the heart of the music industry by just equipping 500 people with the real knowledge of how it works and not not the book thing of like oh this could happen and you could be an and you could be in a restaurant and you could. I'm like I'm going to show you from everyone else. Uh, let's have everyone who's actually executive tell you how the business works. So that way you're not wondering anymore and spending too much money or time. So that's the deal for Hunter club. Um, and then I have a company called Kimora, which is a sync company that just opened in January and we signed our first artist, which is myself and four extremely high level executive lawyers and producers in that company, which is, that company is a, is a, It's a powerhouse of some of the top music entertainment lawyers, uh, sync music supervisors who have award-winning for like the movies like Whiplash and things like that, like very major prominent films in music. And then I'm also a partner in a a recording studio in Austin, Texas. And I'm a partner in a skincare line, which that one's a random one, but um, partner in a skincare line that actually has got its first, it's on its way of getting its first purchase order from the major, most, the biggest Japanese um, mall, mall company chain. Um, So it's, I'm, you know, I'm out here and I'm doing a bunch of different things, but all of it's kind of focused around music and the skincare line just happens to be something that I'm passionate about because it's all natural, it's all organic, it's cell regenerating, better than Neosporin and it's actually better for like, it reduces wrinkles and inflammations and it's all kinds of stuff.
0: You mentioned Sync before and how you're concentrating on it. Do you see a problem with it in the fact that advertising rates have really dropped, which are going to affect Sync prices as well?
1: Uh, I haven't seen a drop for myself. I mean, my my financial security is totally fine and it keeps on building. Uh, The way I play the game of Sync, though, is different from most because I believe it's about monikers and it's about uh, creating many projects that are always constantly hitting at all times. And with seeing the the lay of the land of how many people are really trying to find great material and not just good, when you're making really great material, it stands out because so many people are not making great material. And as an executive and someone who gets a lot of demos, I can tell you that on a weekly basis after 200 demos, I'm only fine. Two songs are even good. Like it's it's that tough in the marketplace. Because I think, unfortunately, the music industry changed. Because back in the day, it was about being a great musician and not doing it for just the attention of online social media. And now people just call themselves musicians. It's almost like, in order to be a professional, what you do, at the end of your name is an OR or an ER. You're a doctor, you know, it's O-R-E-R. Yeah. Or so if I say, if you said, Adam, what are you doing? I said, I'm a basketball player. You would assume that I've mastered the thing I just told you because I say I'm a basketball player. But if someone says, what are you doing? You say, I'm a singer. That doesn't mean you've mastered it. If someone says I'm a songwriter, that doesn't mean you have more than five songs. If someone someone's I'm a producer. Like, do you know? No, you're a track writer? You're not a producer. So like, because people just give themselves a title, our, our industry, when I say it's broken, it's. We're the only industry where you can just call yourself whatever you want without having to go through any kind of bar exam or even have to worry about your title being stripped from you. I'm a manager. What makes you a manager? Cause I'm a manager. <laughs> like, like there's nothing that has a pre-qualifying uh, part. So for me, I think as long as you're making really great music, you have a career in this because 99% of people are just not making great music.
0: You know, nothing has really changed. I'm older than you, but the interesting thing is when I was starting out, everything was essentially the same. It had different names or it had different structures, but same thing. You had people that call themselves producers that were dentists that were accountants, and you know they'd walk in the studio and hand somebody some money and they're the producer. So I mean, you had the same thing only in a different level.
1: Well, also, it's you're talking about back then though the uh, the ability to access it at the level it is, and to promote it was not at that same thing. So what happens is if you multiply where you are from times now, what is there's 9.4 million songs released on Spotify, You know the amount of songs that can be released with no gatekeepers, what happens is it over floods and oversaturates the market. So if you're really in that 1% who actually knows how to do this thing, you still do stand out amongst all the executives as long as you have an actual network that you can pitch your music to that makes
0: sense yeah well that's what i was getting at because in fact one of the beauties and we look back at it now it seemed like something that at the time you know was very prohibitive but there were gatekeepers and the gatekeepers did you know separate the weed from the chaff so you had to be pretty good in order to even get in the game but you were able to do that because there were more places to learn your craft than there are now and so you know again in many ways, I don't like to glamorize the past, and I have no nostalgia at all for it, but there are certain things that made it easier in a way if you wanted to be a so-called professional musician, producer, writer, whatever. And now, like you say, it's very easy to get in the game. It doesn't mean you're good, but you can get in the game.
1: Yeah, so actually, you just said you said that you feel like back in the day, there were more places to learn. Is that what you said?
0: Oh, God, yes. Uh, now, not formally like we have now, not online, but you would learn your craft because there were lots of places to play. There are tons of clubs and you couldn't get anywhere until you spent your three, four or five years at the very least in, in that in front of people.
1: Okay, so this is that major difference I tell people all the time because they'll go in the studio, never perform their song live, never saw a crowd reaction to it, don't know where they should highlight the parts, where they should Uh, pull back on the tension moments because they don't know how it works in in a live environment, but then they want a record deal. And I'm like, you're doing it backwards. Like you have no clue if these songs are even going to work yet. And they're like, yeah, but I'm putting it on Spotify as my single. And you're like, what are you talking about? Like you're just throwing things out, hoping they stick instead of looking at like a real business. You think Nike was put out a crappy shoe? No, they're going to run through a focus group. They're going to run through a board of directors. And so what I try to help artists see is that you can create all that stuff for free. You can create a focus group for free. It's yeah. a bunch of your friends who actually are are real. And here's the problem: I'll say though, there's so much co-signing happening in the world. So like when I say co-signing, meaning there's so much of the pat on the shoulder, you did a good job, even though you didn't yet. Like oh, keep going, you're gonna become famous. Like and honestly, it's kind of weird because I I see so many submissions that my company gets, and so I'll get lost in the rabbit hole where I'll click on a um, on a song and kind of look at the Facebook, kind of look at the Instagram. And I'll see someone post a track, and what will happen is underneath it, there'll be a ton of people writing great job, and that song is nowhere near being ready.
0: Yeah.
1: And I'm like, so here's what we're creating we're creating people because everything's based on programming. If you hear enough repetition of something, you're going to believe it, but, or you're going to start to doubt if I should believe people around me. But one of the two things are going to happen. And if you hear all the time that you're great, but you look in your bank account and it's broke, and you're not getting any meetings with label people and you have no real network and you're not collaborating with higher tier people and your music still is not sounds like it's competitive if you're hearing you're great that's going to cause a little rift in the in the mainframe after a while because you're gonna be like i'm confused on what's happening and unfortunately because everyone online if i like you you might like me back if i follow you you might follow me and they're playing this game that helps literally no one and i see so much of that and that's part that's scary there's a lot of co-signing out there for things that People will be like, oh, I'm a, I'm a boss. And I go, how many employees do you have? Because for me, boss means you have employees. Yeah, sure. Not just because you because you say the word boss and put a hashtag in them.
0: When you sent me an email, there was one thing that struck me, and that was wanting to talk about how to land an investor and how much money to ask for, because that's something that comes up a lot, but it's not talked about all that often. What's your approach? Where do you land on that?
1: Well, everything's going to be different depending on the the band or the act or artist or the situation. But where I kind of try to start artists with is first understand, A, where their leverage is in the beginning. Because people sometimes just start thinking that money solves it all. And I'm here to be clear with everyone. Money does not solve it all, like, by any means. Like, I've worked with people who will invest a million dollars in a project, and the project does nothing at all. I've seen it happen more than once. And so whenever someone thinks money's that problem or money's the answer, I'm like, no, 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 no. Money's just going to get you more of stuff. But if you don't know where to put that money, you're just going to have a lot of stuff around you. Like, that's that's all it does. So I think first it's understanding the intention of the artist, what kind of route we're really trying to go. Are we trying to go independently? Are we trying to do a joint venture with the label? Are we trying to to shortcut some things and have some producers get involved so they can own some of the masters? Like, what are we trying to do? And also what level of extra income can your investor like legitly spend? Like, what are they, what, are they making 60 million a year? Or are they making 1 million a year? Like, where are we at? Cause some people, when it comes to investors, they're just doing this because it's their passion project. So they'll spend $300,000. It's like, they're, if they'll make $30 million in the bank, $300,000 is nothing. So they're like, what do we need? Like, Sometimes some of the investors are like, Adam, let's write down what we need. It's like, okay, right. This is all you need. Right. Yeah. And then sometimes people are like, hey, this is my cousin, and I really believe in them, and I have a tech company, so I make a million dollars, so I can probably afford you know 50K, 60K. And I'm like, cool. We need to know where that range is of the investor who's coming in, and also what the artist's expectations or the investor's expectations are. Because some investors, and this is the reality of it, most people are not going to invest if they're already in the music industry. Because <laughs> people in the music industry know how hard it is to invest in the music
0: industry. Yeah, yeah.
1: So it's usually someone who's doing it as a passion project because they grew up loving music. It's a passion of theirs. They love this artist. They found them and they thought, you know what? If I if I believe in you, I wish someone else believed in me when I was younger. I'm gonna pass that energy forward. That's where we start and then understand those strategic points and where they all align. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, yeah, it does. So how do you find somebody like that?
1: Investor wise? Yeah. I would say investors come from all different places. Like I've seen people meet investors through family and friends. I've seen people meet investors through, I mean, it sounds silly, but just being around people with money. Like if you're if you're a, if you're a bear and you're in the middle of the woods and you want to find out how you're going to eat, you're not going to stand in the forest and ask for salmon to rain down. You're going to stand by the river with salmon are jumping, right? So if you're not around people who have money, like the reality of it is like why not? Yeah. Like there's nothing different between you and them other than maybe they started a company, but. I think as you get older, you realize everyone's just a normal person. They just happen to have a good idea that spawned, they built into a business, that kept riding the wave, they built it, and built it. But I've only met two people in this world have, who've really floored me with their intelligence to where I was like, oh my God, I've never met someone like you. I've met thousands of people. Everyone else is pretty much similar. They just had that moment. They sparked it. They built something around it. So I think if you can hang out with other people you think are cool, which you can be at, all different kinds of events that, ha- that are, have a more affluence, you would say, you know, that's where you want to hang out. You want to hang around people that are doing it. But I would say this is that there is a difference between genuineness and someone who's hungry for money. There's a difference, you know, like when someone's just a genuine person and you can hang out with anyone, you'll find way more investments than the person who's trying to manipulate the situation. Like, oh, I'm going to wear this outfit. I'm going to go talk to that person. That person, when you have money, you can spot that person, you know, especially when you're street smart and you have money because street smart people who have money you've seen it all like you know you know the pimps you know the people you've seen it so you're like and eh, call this ahead of the game so I would say if someone wants to find investors probably one of the first things is having a business plan that you know you're not talking crazy because here's what happens if you say something that sounds genuine like say you're talking with some friends and Someone goes, Oh yeah, my brother has a tech company and he used to be a musician. And you're like, oh cool. You're like, oh, you know what? I'm I'm um, just finished a project and you know I'm working on it. I'd love to send it off to some friends. And if anyone really likes it, let me know. And they're like, oh cool, my brother loved your record. Oh, that's great. Well, I don't know if your brother's ever interested in investing, but I have a business plan and it's pretty affordable and she's helping to get this thing going and push it forward. When you say I have a business plan, other investors will now take you seriously because they understand that you understand money and that's what they're investing. But when someone goes, well, you know, if I can get, like, I don't know, $200,000, well, now they're just grabbing at straws. And it means like you've put no work into it. There's no real thought behind it. It's just you want money. And that's scary for investors. So for me, it's about just first and foremost, looking at, like, for instance, if I ask most musicians, they go, I need a manager. I go, oh, do you? Do you need someone to tell you where to go and someone to write down your schedule and someone to, because the reason why managers really came in is because people at that time were making money couldn't read, write, or handle finances. And so if you take all the black musicians from 1930s, 1940s, they needed, they needed managers at that time. They couldn't go into the bar to book the, the, the gig. They needed someone to be the in-between who had a similar skin tone, like a Jewish person who could walk in and manage their money and help them. Because whenever they got their money, they went to their parents who used to be slaves and said, "Mom and dad, I made 20 bucks, what should I do? Mom and dad said, buy a dress. Because they just told you to do what they see everyone else doing. So of course, managers were needed at that point. But now we have the internet and we have Google Calendar. So like even before this thing, Google calendar reminded me, Adam, 4 p.m. You have to be on a thing. I didn't need to pay anyone for that. So when we look at today's current space, when someone says I need a manager, the first question I ask is, cool, how much would you want your manager to make a year? And they go, what do you mean? And I say, okay, how much would you pay an assistant? And they go, well, if I was making money, I'd pay a assistant like 40,000. I say, cool. So how much would you pay a manager who's managing your whole entire career? And they go, at least at least 80. Uh, oh, you pay your manager 80,000 dollars. Yeah. OK, cool. How much do you have to make for that to happen? And they go, uh, it's like, you never even thought of it, huh? And then I'll just say, I'll give you an example. They make 20 percent sometimes. And they'll go, uh, I'll give you an example. It's one-fifth of what you have to make. Uh, take the 80,000 multiply it by five. Uh, so what happens is the people that I've noticed who understand this game the most, I'm just being honest are hip-hop artists. Because hip-hop artists like Russ and Tory Lanes and a lot of these guys, they've been striking... And Macklemore and Chance the Rapper, they're striking their own joint venture deals. They know what it's like to hustle. They understand what it's like to build a culture around their music and not just have a song land or not. They're building up teams of people behind them. And when I show with to the pop artists, pop artists are usually just themselves. They haven't found like another 10 other pop artists. They all write together and they're all pushing one another. It's like, very rare to find that, um, but hip-hop artists seems to happen a lot. So I say, first, find out how much money you actually need. Make a business plan. Make it something that is doable so you're not saying crazy numbers of people who actually know money. It's kind of like people go on Shark Tank. And you know, Mark Cuban says, uh, how much does your company work? What do you evaluate at? And they'll go, one million. And he'll say, how many units have you sold? And they'll say, none. And he'll just be like, what are you talking about? You can't have... Well, it's five times the multiple of what we would make, and he's just like, "What are you talking about?" You read about it in the book, so you can't do that when you're dealing with people who make real money. And the best way to come is at the same level, or just saying, "Listen, I need help, but here's what I do know about my business, and I might only need this much to get started." And the reality is that if you're trying to do like joint ventures with bigger labels, you don't need a lot of money. Like I've I've been involved in some projects that I I don't want to say I feel bad for, but I want to say that is part of the business that I'm like, man, I wish the investor would just listen to me. I wish the investor would just listen to me because they wasted a quarter of a million dollars on a product that, that literally went nowhere. But it's because they weren't listening. They were just spending the money and spending the money and thinking that eventually the money would come back because in their business, that's how it worked. They kept putting fuel on their fire. And in their business, that's how they made the money. But in the music industry, I'm like, no, no, no. It, it happens from different revenue streams. So if your artist is not touring, that's a revenue stream that you've cut off. If your artist is not writing songs for Tegan film, that's a revenue stream cut off. If your artist is not writing songs that can fit on radio yet, that's a revenue stream cut off. So like, I'm telling you how to get them into making revenue, but you're not telling the artist they have to change it all. And you're just going around whatever their visions are about like, I'm going to become the next Prince. And I'm like, but you can't even play the guitar like Prince yet. I'm so confused at what's happening.
0: One thing I saw when I was looking at your site was you had something that was a cover song contest. Mm Mm-hmm. I thought was very unique. I don't know that I've seen that anywhere. How did that come about?
1: So I can't stand people who try and make careers off cover songs. I think it is the most annoying thing in the world when you have an artist who actually is talented and all they do is copy other people and they expect their fan base. Because then all of a sudden they go, now here's my original. And the original is, they're not realizing they're training their public to hear hits. And then they play their original that is subpar. And you can see it by the numbers. They'll have like a million, a million, a million and 90,000 views. And they want their public to like forget that they just try to switch up on them. And I'm like, that's not how it works. It's the reason why I'm from American Idol and from the voice and then line them all up and say, how many of them have had success past this show and the numbers go from here to radio. And then you just hear chirping. And it's like, okay, why is it happening? So for me, cover songs work when you make them your own, when you make them your own, well now we're talking a whole difference because there's yesterday Beatles and boys to men. There's like Dolly Parton's co- cover song that she had that Whitney Houston did. There's like some cover songs that are really like, I didn't even know what's that um, what is this song black crow that was written until recently. And I was like, Oh my God, that's not, that's not this rock and roll band. That's from an old, like Otis Redding song. So whenever you find a song that's so good that you didn't even know was a cover, that to me is special. And that's the part of artistry that I think all real artists can do. They can always take a song and make it their own. Um, so I basically challenged everyone and said, Hey, if you can make a song that really is your own, I will then give you three, there's almost like $2,500 worth of, you know, prizes and stuff like that. And I'll mentor you and underneath my, all of our mentors, which we have such an amazing roster of mentors in our, in our program. It's just insane. Like everyone is just at the top of the top. So, uh, yeah, the song that they did, I forget the song that won, cause we've done so many contests recently, but it was, it, their version could have been in the movie just the way it was. It was so well done. And it was like an 80s song that they did. And I was like, this is what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, we had a lot of good artists. There was one girl who made, I wish she would have done the full version, but she sang a version of I Want It That Way by Backstreet Boys. Yeah. yeah. But she kind of sounded like like Brandy and Monica. And it was like an R&B pop version of the song. And she was adding her own runs. And it, it was just so good that I was like, this could have been on the radio right now. And everyone would have forgot about the Backstreet Boys version. Yeah, yeah. Just because it was so good. So I feel like cover songs can lend people like that, but not when people make it a career out of it. So I was trying to help people see that because I've seen so many artists who are on YouTube doing the cover song game. They get signed by a major artist, and then their career goes nowhere. And there's there's a literally a litter full of people like that online that have never re- never will get a record deal. You know, they're they're on tours just doing cover songs to other people. It's like a glorified wedding band, and there's nothing wrong with that if you're using that to make money on the side, but if you're going to be living to be an artist, like at some point you got to be like, what am I? I'm just writing everyone else's stuff and then saying it's my own. And it's really not.
0: All right. Last question. What's the best piece of business advice that either somebody imparted to you or maybe you learned along the way?
1: Best piece of business advice. That's a tough question for someone like myself. Uh, Okay. Let's let's go to the center point of something, because um, everything revolves around a center point. So, all right, um, there's something that I created called the O factor. So, have you ever had this experience where you've had something to drink and you're like, ooh, this tastes good? Yeah. Right. Or you get a massage, you're like, ooh, that feels good right there. Right. You say, ooh, this smells nice, and someone shares it with you. So, whenever something hits one of your senses and it's at a level that's above the normal homeostasis point of view you get shot with adrenaline that rushes through your body and the way you express that adrenaline is by saying the word ooh okay so you say ooh and then with the language that you've been taught you then tell everyone in the group what that ooh means so you share with everyone in the group based around what made your adrenaline spike and say ooh so ooh serves us as two purposes in our tribal you know groups one it says everyone pay attention to me you say ooh everyone goes "What?" So it's pay attention to me. I have something that's good for our survival. That's what it is. Pay attention to me. I have something that's good for our survival. Then two is it's the language that I'm going to now tell you in my language what it means. So right now I might say, ooh, this song is really cool. But in some other language, they're going ooh, and then saying, or ooh, like whatever they're saying, they're saying ooh first and then explaining it with their language. okay yeah So the reason why we all do that is because we all know that we have the same DNA as primates. And what words do they say? Ooh, ah, ooh, right? yeah So it's already in our DNA, but some people don't realize it's there, because it's like this, this filter system where they forgot that we are primates. I mean, I live around monkeys. If you live around monkeys, you're not confused when you see a monkey and you see us. You're like, that thing looks just like us, and it's doing the same kind of things that we do, and it's right there. You kind of understand like, We might have some relatives in this this field of primates, right? So to break everything down, I go, no matter what you do, you have to make them say, ooh. And everything that you're creating, your hooks, your melodies, your lyrics, your productions, everything that you're doing, I have to say, ooh. And more importantly, I have to say, ooh, every eight bars. Because if I'm not saying, ooh, I'm tuning out and going to the next thing. So I have to be like, eight bars, ooh. Another eight bars, ooh. Bars. So when you get me to ooh, keep going through your song, well, now you actually have been paid with my time, which is the most valuable commodity I can have. Can't refuse it. I can't, can't recycle it. I can't reuse it. So I, I have to, I'm paying you with my time. Most valuable thing I got. If you can make me say, Ooh, the whole time, you got a possible fan. And that will lead into a career. Cause once I say, Ooh, what am I gonna do? I'm going to share it. Cause that's how it always works. And you say, Ooh, you share. so, I think, uh, especially in a world right now where we can share things, both good and bad, being viruses and also good being music, we can share things in a second, that's a double-edged sword. And if you can create people having sharing things that make them say ooh in a good way, well, then you have a chance of really making a career and making something that's viable. Most people are not creating the ooh moments. They're just writing songs that they like and they're not, they have no filter system, they have no focus groups, they have no friends to help them, and then they make up excuses why they don't have the producers and why they don't have the friends and da-da-da. So the business side is make them say, ooh, but then also realize that you are a CEO of your music company. And you can get five friends to tell you if the music is good. That's focus group. You can get five mentors. That's your board of directors. You can get five A&R and publishers. That's your sales team. You can get these things. They're all for free. But you have to have a great quality product. And I think a lot of people are not making great quality products. They're just rushing to, the, to put something out so they can cut themselves in the back Kind of like, you know, the ashtrays when we were kids and they weren't that good, but our parents said, look, I'm going to put it on that everyone's going to see, you are like, okay. Or here's the painting I did. It's scribbly, but they are like, oh, it's from the refrigerator. People are doing that with their music right now. You know, for me, if anything I ask you is like, what do you see with the industry as it is now with even what's going on with, let's say with COVID, like where do you see being the, the place that musicians, so I can even tell them of my following, like, where do you see them should be focusing their attention right now with, with. This place where touring won't be at the highest level we, we don't even know when we go back before i guess
0: yeah we don't know but i think one of the things that's coming out of this is the collaboration factor electronically you now we're all doing it it's getting easier it's proving to be easier than anyone thought and more productive than anyone thought so i think that's one of the good parts
1: totally agree with you on that because i've had so many online contests and like collaborative things we've been doing and you're right. Some of the songs that are coming out are truly amazing. And we're saying, we're getting sync placements and we're doing that all virtually right now, which is, we cool to even see happening.
0: I think the fact that people want to collaborate, but they always felt that they'd have to be in the same room, which is ultimately the best, but nonetheless, it stopped a lot of people from doing anything because you felt, well, I have to go to wherever they're at or they have to come to me. I have to wait for that to happen. So now there's more of that happening virtually. The barriers are down. I think that's a good thing.
1: If you can share from me, just so I can know, what would you say is like one of the best pieces of business advice that you have?
0: Endurance and stamina
1: Mm. are the best
0: things. The people that I've seen make it from when I started are the ones that stuck with it through thick and thin. And it doesn't necessarily mean that they're superstars in what they're doing. It means that they're making a really good living and they're enjoying what they're doing. In fact, it's the ones that really toughed it out. As you well know, things are tough sometimes. And those people that didn't stop are the ones that are still standing today.
1: I mean, literally what you say is what I tell everyone. I'm like, when I first started this, when I was in college, there were so many. I, w- I got really lucky that the house that I lived in, I was saying my ex-girlfriend was like a singer, but she was friends with all the other great singers in town until they always come to my house. And so I couldn't sing. I was in college. But On a normal Friday, I mean, I'm hearing them harmonize and do this. And a lot of people from that time, they all got record deals. Some of them became famous, like, well-known acts over the years. And I remember thinking, like, that all started in our house, this four-bedroom house, and all these people came out of it. But every single one of them, except for the one band that's really, like, well-known, everyone else stopped over the years. And They had the record deals. They were on the tour with NSYNC and the Bexie Boys and, you know, the Britney Spearses, and they did all this stuff. And when I try to help my mentees, I'm like, I feel like the reason why they didn't keep going is because they had a dream of what the business was. And when that dream didn't equal what they saw in reality, it kind of uh stopped their momentum and said them figuring out like, oh, I just is a business and I'll just learn how to make this business work for me. They were like, oh, I don't know. Even though they went to that spot where so many people were trying to get to that record deal, even though they got that, once it didn't go the way they wanted to, they just, just fell off. Or, you know, they just said uh, – when I started families, and they just said, "Okay, my family's to some sham, I need. And they go. I need to do something more practical. Yeah. And I would go, "Yeah, but like you can make music practical if you make it a business." And most people just weren't. They were only doing it for, like I said, for some sort of like accolade. They want to be famous. They want to have this experience. They want to see you in the movies. And then I'd be like, "Well, you might have to write a hundred songs this year." And they're like, hundred songs? I don't want to do that." And I'm like, "A lot of us who are at the top are doing that. You know, we're writing fifty, hundred songs a year, and that's why we have catalogs and travel to play stuff." And some people are like I just want to do my six song EP. Yeah, you know, that might not work.
0: There are a lot of places that you can go to find out about Adam and his companies. You can start at cloud9music.nl. It's all one word, cloud, the number 9, music.nl. You can also go to thebillboard500.com. It's one word, thebillboard500.com. And finally, neverlandretreats.com. Again, all one word, neverlandretreats.com. Thanks for listening and being in my inner circle. Remember, if you have any questions or comments, you can send them to questions at bobbyowinnercircle.com. To listen to other episodes of Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle, go to bobbyowcinski.com, select the podcast tab, or go to bobbyowinnercircle.com, or you can find it on iTunes, Stitcher, Mixcloud, Google Play, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, TuneIn Radio, Radio Public, and Podbean.